This is Twa Teams One Street from the Evening Telegraph, the only podcast as obsessed with Dundee and Dundee United as you are. This week, can manager Ulster United add to Jer's woes at Ibrox? And Dundee mustn't dally if they're going to topple Cali. I'm Tom Duthie, and I'm still here, despite reports to the contrary. More of that later. And joining me this week are Alan Temple. Hello. And Craig Cairns. Hello. Who I've only met for about two minutes in my life. He's already secure. But there's a chemistry there already. <laughs> I can feel it. That's a, It's a broadcasting thing. We just clicked right away. But anyway, enough of this nonsense. On to business. Dundee United, Alan. I've been away for a four weeks. Has anything happened? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> no, it's, I must admit, it's, we're now at the situation where it feels slightly like the managerial scenario was dragging somewhat. Um, I think everybody knows that, that Liam Fox is the favourite, but we're you know, being told that a process is being carried out. People are being spoken to. Um, we obviously be interested when we get the opportunity to talk to Tony Askar at the unveiling of whoever it might be uh, to talk about that process and how many candidates were were, were spoken to and the kind of calibre um, of those candidates. But I think we're now at the stage now where, where Dundee United fans just want a, a name one way or the other. I don't think we will have that before the Rangers game. I think Liam Fox will take the team at Ibrox um, on Saturday. And then the following week is probably the most likely for the unveiling of whoever it might be. But... I must say it does feel like feels like we've been in this kind of period of of stasis for a, a wee while now and they're just I think fans just want a bit of clarity whoever it might be let's just have them and see what the makeup of the coaching team is going to be and look ahead to the rest of the campaign because there's uh, some serious work to be done for whoever it might be to be fair to this administration at Tannerice they haven't rushed with any of their appointments and I mean the fact that I I'm saying appointments doesn't worry me a bit because there's been a few already. Yeah, but there is, there is a thing that this one's slightly different. That it's into a season. They are a club in crisis because Jack Ross wouldn't have got the sack if they weren't a club in crisis. So, are the fans right to be a wee bit worried? Slightly, um, and this is also the most challenging appointment in the sense that absolutely everything that has happened has been completely unforeseen and has, as you allude to, has happened midway, not even midway through a season, at the very beginning of a season. So you have factors such as, it's just common sense to say that Jack Ross's sacking will be an expensive process. He was at the beginning of a two-year contract. That's just maths. Um, and likewise, you'd be fair to surmise that Mark Ogden isn't going to keep signing limitless checks after... <laughs> Um, what was a fairly busy summer of recruitment and uh, also bringing Jack Ross to the club. So there will be a, a finite budget for this manager, which then factors into whether you can go and look for someone that has lots and lots of experience, someone that's at a club. So they will be fishing in a certain pool. And I think within that pool, you're probably looking at the reason why Liam Fox is being considered. You look at other names that have been linked with the post, guys like John Daly, Barry Robson, Kevin Thompson. These are all punts. These are all gambles, the affordable gambles who are each considered fine coaches, but let's be honest, we don't really know. None of them have had huge jobs. So I can understand if Dundee United do decide to go with Liam Fox that he is the affordable known quantity within uh, those that, that pool of candidates. So of course, of course, Dundee United fans will be slightly concerned with a rookie boss who's only had nine months, a bad nine months at Cowdenbeath on his CV, trying to get them out of trouble in the Premiership. But I guess they just have to trust the process. And if that process collapses and proves to be a disaster, then huge questions will be asked of plenty of people. Uh, top of the list will be Tony Askar, of course. Yeah, and I mean to bring you and drop you in at the deep end here, Craig. <laughs> uh, one thing that maybe is strange about the, li the list is uh, they're big names 
even going back to when Duncan Ferguson was mentioned, but there doesn't seem to have been a name strongly mentioned who was an experienced manager. Yeah, as Alan said, that seems to be the the, the kind of model that they're they're going for, which they've had success with in the in the recent past, as we've said. That, that's why I find the criticism of Fox a little bit because there have been people who are preempting that it's going to be Fox and and being critical of it, and I find that a little bit. Strange, given that some of these people will also argue that Barry Robson would be worth a punt or Kevin Thompson would be worth a punt, and I think that's, I think it's 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 all a similar risk. There's even there's even an argument that there's at least some continuity there with yeah. Liam Fox, and that may be a, a plus point for him that the that the others don't have. Yeah, because I mean, Fox is to United. Fox is the known unknown, if you like. The one thing you can't tell us how they'll do as managers, and uh, they're all they're all experienced former players, and I've got a bit of experienced coaching there. But Fox is, and maybe either of you is Fox the obvious cho- most obvious choice, simply because again, going back to the circumstances, right now you want somebody who knows the club, knows what's happening at the club right at this minute. Maybe maybe a lot of it's dependent on the game this weekend because what he has shown is that he's taken a club in crisis and stabilised it, at least for temporarily for a couple of games. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in the in the near future. So yeah, I don't it's, know what Alan thinks of that. It's an interesting one because, well, first of all, I, I I do think he has the the known quantity to what Tam said, and the players do like him. He is a good people person. You know, if anybody. Uh, wants to, to go on the, the website or pick up a paper today and, and read Craig Levine on him. It's, it's quite interesting. I mean, f- players that are at Dundee United will say the right things, will give platitudes, but I think everyone, every Dundee United fan out there knows that uh, I, nor anyone, can tell Craig Levine what to say. Um, so his thoughts on Liam Fox are very much his own and uh, and quite interesting in the sense that he didn't, he didn't focus a lot on tactics, on... Uh, you know the 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 intricacies of coaching it was a lot about him as a people person him as a man manager him as a motivator Dundee United have good players they have good players that know how to play football so maybe that whether it's whether he's going to be there for you know five years or whatever who knows but see right now maybe that's what exactly what they need somebody that the players like that are responding to and you can see in the last few games that they have responded to, uh, to what, what Liam Fox is trying to do and yeah, I think that that will be one of the things that is swinging the pendulum towards Liam Fox. Is you'd be mad not to take into account what that dressing room would be comfortable with. And Liam Fox is someone that's not only got a tune out of them in the last couple of games, but he was a really big part of Tam Courts' success last season. He was... A man who listened to the players. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems mad to say that Liam Fox... At, at, last season he was 37, was the experienced head, but he was. He was the the man who had coached Premiership level footballers. He was the only person that had coached Premier League footballers um, within that coaching team. And that experience was invaluable and his input was really important. And as I say, it's it's all relative. See if there was a Michael see if Michael O'Neill was willing and affordable, then you would say, well of course you don't take Liam Fox above him. Liam Fox is going to be a strong candidate in the pool that circumstances have forced Dundee United to shop in. Um, so, um, yeah, well, was that one of the surprising things about Duncan Ferguson being mentioned as well? I think punters are well aware now that even even if they're free, you struggle to sign an English Premiership player because of the wages they're on. Mm-hmm. Goes for coaches and managers down there yeah. as well. And what what you've got to remember is these, these guys have have bills to pay that have been based on their income. Fair, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good point. Dundee United and Duncan Ferguson wasn't a gore. The original story that Duncan Ferguson was ready to talk to Dundee United was absolutely correct. It just happened to be a very short conversation. Yeah. Aye. I mean, <laughs> That's the fact of it. Since he, le- since he left Dundee United in 1994, I think it was, he's been operating on a different wage scale. Yeah, and also... And Michael O'Neill's now in that, maybe for a shorter time, he's in that position as well. Yeah, Dundee United are looking for a young, up-and-coming, affordable coach who 
will succeed in the same mold that Tam Courts did. And I can I can understand that. It's what's proved successful. It, it, this all has to be signed off by the man who signs the checks, Mark Ogren. And if you're him, why would you be signing another big check from an experienced manager? You've already signed the yeah. big Jack Ross check and it was a disaster. Whereas your fairly modest Tam Courts check got you into Europe. So <laughs> you'd be following that blueprint. Yeah, I mean, looking at the United situation more generally, it's it's one of the big surprises not that they're in the situation that they're in with the players that they've got, not just in terms of quality, but in terms of experience. Because if you go around the Premier League, is there another squad that's got as many, if you like, potential managers on the pitch that that, that United have? There's guys, there's guys who don't necessarily look have to look to the bench. When things aren't going right, they can sort them. They can sort it out at a corner or a free kick and say, "Hey, you, you, you need to be here. You need to be ten yards that way. You need to be doing your job." And and it does surprise me that they're still looking for their first league win. I know you can kind of see some of the performances towards the end of the Jack Ross time compared to the performances they've had afterwards. I mean, it. it it shows that there was, I don't know how to word this properly, but they they were... Friction. <laughs> it seems like, I don't want to say like trying harder or, or something like that, but there, were, there was something fundamentally that was being done differently between the performances either side of that sacking. And it's not... And, and even, even earlier on in the season, they beat Alkmaar at home and uh, they didn't all of a sudden just all become terrible players within yeah. a couple of weeks. So yes, there's a lot of experience in that team. There's a lot of leaders in that team. There's a lot of good players in that team and they shouldn't be in the position that they're in. But it has been a bit of an anomaly this season. It's been, it has been a bit, it's been an extreme situation, if, if you see what I mean. It's like, you, you don't quite often go 23 goals without reply and losing 9-0 at home and all that kind of stuff. So it has been an extreme situation. Maybe the the silver lining is that it's fairly early in the season and they still have a, a long time to sort it out. Yeah, again, looking at it in general, is it, A, by acting when they did, it was brutal on Jack Cross. Don't, I, I wouldn't pretend otherwise. But too often clubs let it go on until after the January transfer window. Dundee did that, and it just—it's difficult for the new manager. You, it, it creates frustration in the fans, saying, "Well, why do you, why do you give him money in January and then appoint him?" As happened with James McPake and Mark McGee, it, it seems, as I say, brutal is the word I would use to describe Jack Ross's dismissal. But United have, have given themselves time. Yeah, and it's. 10 weeks is such a short time, so I do understand why you're using that word, but it was such an extreme situation and there was something that was so obviously not clicking. It's, you know, people can, people have this, everything needs to be extremely black or white, so they have this perception that, you know, there's, when a manager like loses the dressing room in inverted commas, there's like Machiavellian plots in the in the shadows to bring down the manager. You know, it's it's rarely like that. That's not really how it works. But what can happen is, for whatever reason, the players, whether consciously or subconsciously, stop buying what the manager's selling. They just they don't think it's working. They don't think it's right. They don't think it's clicking. That then flips back to well, how does the manager deal with that? What, how does how is his man, man management getting across? Do the players respond well to that? All that cycle is going on. All that is affecting the players' performances on the pitch, which clearly weren't acceptable. But a lot of things go into something not clicking to the extent that things did not click for Jack Ross at Dundee United, um, and that you know that that goes from man management to recruitment to tactics. There's so much into it and so much that maybe makes the players think um, whether they've got the right man at the helm. So it's it clearly wasn't working. That's that's what you can say without a shadow of a doubt. Um, even after 10 weeks, that malaise could have got a fair bit worse. And acting, I mean, you would say that Dundee United, look at, looking at the league table, haven't got an awful lot right um, of late. I would suggest that acting just before that League Cup last 16 game 
has proved to be a good call because that initial response has got them into the last eight of the Premier Sports Cup. They're one game away from Hamden and have a lot of time to get themselves out of trouble. So in that sense, if you're scanning the sky for silver linings, that's probably what you find. Yeah, I mean, what occurs to me is you should always give managers more time than Jack Ross got, but... So unusual, wasn't it? If you look at it, how many managers, maybe... Maybe the boy or Alf Hassenhutl at Southampton's in a minority or mm. one that he seems to be able to take a hiding and just continue on as normal. But to lose seven and six, sorry, seven and nine in a matter of a few weeks, I can't think of anyone that's recovered from that. So yeah. it, it was maybe needed to be done. And tough weekend for them this weekend because they go to Rangers as good a time as you could possibly get to <laughs> play Rangers when they've, they've had a run of bad defeats. It's still not going to be easy, is it? Mm, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's it, you've, it flips both ways. You can look at a Rangers team that's conceded 11 goals in three games and say... It's not far off Jack Ross's form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, yeah, Gio will be getting the sweats. <laughs> but it's... And you could say, oh, well, there's going to be vulnerability there. Or you can say Rangers were much, much improved against Napoli and are going to be incredibly frustrated and determined to turn that around and United will take a hiding. That Those are the two... Um, extremes of uh, opinion. Um, I think Dundee United will put up a decent fight. I think they've shown resilience, they've shown shape, they've shown organisation. And I think they'll be stoic enough at Ibrox not to take a tanking. And I also think Van Bronckhorst's Rangers are not Postacoglu's Celtic in the sense of no. their style. They're not They're not relentless. They don't relentlessly maul you and throw bodies forward and play at 100 miles an hour. They like their football. They like a wee bit of tippy-tappy and then strike at the right time. So that should, in theory, be a little bit easier for uh, a Dundee United defence that doesn't have tons and tons of pace to, to deal with. So I would like to think that Dundee United can make a game of it, but in terms of predicting them to go to Ibrox and, and turn Rangers over, regardless of the circumstances, would seem ambitious in, in the extreme. Yeah, Rangers can be still be flat-track bullies even in these um, circumstances. The one thing that might work in Dundee United's favour is, is Van Bronckhorst and whether he's actually going to come back from this. I mean, Rangers will. But mm -hmm. Van Bronckhorst went on a seven-game losing streak at PSV, kept his job, and then eventually turned it round. Yeah. He, Impressive start there. Rangers, <laughs> <laughs> Rangers have only ever uh, lost four in a row. So he he's one off matching Rangers' record. And you can't imagine a, a Rangers manager surviving four or five defeats in a row, especially if, if, if one of those was a... You can't United, imagine, imagine a Rangers manager not knowing that start <laughs> several times over this week as well. Yeah. He is under pressure, isn't he? Yeah. I think he's under, under less pressure due to the nature of the performance against Napoli. That did at least represent a response, but... The performance against Napoli will fade in people's memories. What will remain is the 3-0 defeat. And papers love an eye-catching stat. You know what it does? It makes for a... Really it, absolutely. It makes for it makes for a hook. And Rangers, 11 goals in three games is a hook. And that... I would like to... Honestly, I would love to sit here and like plan how Dundee United could get at that fragility. It's so difficult. Uh, of course. With, with the difference in personnel. But... I would like to see um, Liam Fox ensure that United have an outball. Um, I look at the way um, Simeone surged through that gap between the two centre-backs um, yesterday for Sands to get sent off um, ahead of the initial penalties. Step forward, Ian Hart. <laughs> and uh, I look at also uh, Jody Hawula being hauled down by James Sands earlier in the season with Ross County where Sands should have got sent off. And you look at that and you think, well, if... Dundee United can pick a team that gives them an outball, whether that's Glenn Middleton, whether that's Sadat Anaku, someone that's pacey, who, when there's a quick turnover in possession, Dundee United can hit, try and get Sands isolated and go from there. That would be the one area of the pitch that I would look at and say, maybe something could come from that. If not, you're looking at set pieces where Rangers have been vulnerable. Um, but it is so much easier said than done. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I can lay out a Dundee United team that can... Um, beat Rangers at Ibrox but if you were to look at two areas where they could perhaps cause some problems um, isolating Sands with a little bit of pace on the break and set pieces would probably be the two options 
realistically, is it a game where, if, I mean, if Liam Fox is going to get the job and if, and if United, in more general terms, are going to continue the, the, the recovery that's there's been signs of in the last couple of games, it's about com- competing and make it, the performance at Ibrox will, will be more important than the, the result. I think um, because of what's just gone before, it would be difficult to for United fans to swallow if Fox was appointed after they were gubbed at Ibrox. Yeah. I think that would be a, a difficult thing to do. So it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. I mean, it does seem that he's going to get the job, and they're probably banking on just what you're saying there, like a at worst a narrow defeat and a and a and a good performance or something like that. But it will be interesting. I mean, I, I don't want this to happen, obviously, but it would be interesting if they if they were to get a hiding, whether... Uh, it's the nightmare scenario exactly. for Tony Asgard, as well as Liam Fox in terms of making an appointment, isn't it's it? It's just, I mean, maybe you could get away with that um, a, 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 any other season, but after after the, the 7-0 and the, and the 9-0, it would be, it would be difficult to, to do and, and expect the United fans to swallow, I think. The whole thing's a bit of a nightmare scenario for Tony Asgard, to be honest, Tam. You know, it's he's a uh, he's he's someone that has divided opinion almost from the moment that he stepped into the building at Tannadice, just due, due to his force of of personality and the amount of control he exerts at, at Tannadice as as Mark Ogren's man on on the ground. But for all that he has received criticism, he's always been able to point at well, yeah, managers come and go, but they come and go after. Getting us gradually higher up the table. Yeah, Every the club's si- always been heading in the right exactly. direction. Every single season, from languishing in the championship to qualifying for Europe, that is a trajectory that any sporting director can be proud of, regardless of what uh, you, whatever fans think of him as a person, as an operator, whatever the criticisms may be. This season, however, um, has been little short of a disaster. There, they've spent good money on a lot of senior international footballers and an experienced manager and they're sitting bottom of the league and they've had to sack that manager so now that criticism particularly if Dundee United were to get properly embroiled in a relegation battle with an untested manager would reflect incredibly badly on the man who ultimately makes the big decisions so uh, it's a it's a big you know it's a big call for Tony Askar to make and ultimately just as he gets praise for Dundee United's rise to the Premiership and qualification for Europe last time he he will be acutely aware that he'll get a hell of a lot of the criticism if this season continues in the manner that it's continued. Right, we're back. Dundee. Did nothing to help me a few weeks back when I had the COVID. I was hoping to be uplifted by them. Watched them at air on a Friday night. Started well, finished badly. Had a couple of decent results since then. Is consistency their problem? Uh, I said last week that I think... I think... A lot of the issues are potentially just teething problems with the new manager. And if you look at his record in all competitions, I think he's doing pretty well. Um, I know that there's been a few disappointing results in the league and it's been a little bit stop-start, but I, 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 I think there's enough positives there. And the latest one is Ashcroft coming back and, and looking good versus uh, Queen's Park. So I am... I'm probably more optimistic about Dundee than your than your average Dundee fan. Is it, is it, is That's it, because we've been watching it for years. I was just about to say, is it some sort of PTSD or <laughs> we know what's going to happen? We know what's around the corner. We're just depressed. Hey, expectations are difficult as well because yeah. the expectations are very high for this Dundee team in this division. They are... Uh, lost count of the amount of times I've said on this, they are by a considerable distance the strongest squad in this division and that brings with it a level of expectation that is difficult to attain under a new manager with a rel- you know, plenty of new faces um, right out of the gate. There will be teething issues and that 3-0 win over Queen's Park, for example, that's quite a good example of where 
expectations maybe don't match up with reality because Dun some Dundee fans might shrug and say, well, of course Dundee beat Queen's Park. It's Dundee. It's Queen's Park. It's at home. Queen's Park started the season really, really well. Yeah, they were, were one of the them. Yeah, they were above them in the league table. So that's a, that, to beat the Queen's Park 3-0 is a fabulous result and it's something to build on. And this, you know, unforeseen hiatus, I mean, yeah, and you don't want to draw on positives due to the circumstance of the hiatus, but just in purely footballing terms, um, it's maybe been of benefit in terms of getting some uh, getting some fitness back in legs. You know, Zach Rudden was very, very much touch and go for um, what would have been their game last week, whereas he now looks set to to line up against Inverness, which is a real positive for um, for Dundee and for, for Zach. And Craig touched on that last week, just how much he'll want to build momentum after a stop-start you know, beginning to his life at, at Dundee. And you've also got you know, guys like yeah, Killian Sheridan playing for the reserves. You've got Jordan Marshall, who we still don't know exactly when he'll be back, but you, one would presume that an extra week of of rehab will be good for him. So these are all positives that you can that you can tick off, and those positives ex extend beyond just the black and white of results on the pitch. It's all a part of that. Gary Boyer trying to get together his best squad and get that best squad fully fit, which. Is something that he's not really had through his whole tenure. You know, we're talking about um, him trying to develop a new side. They've not, he's very rarely had his best or like a full accompaniment of, of first team players. Even last week, they were without Ryan Sweeney, who was, who was suspended. So there's not only has been signs of positivity, but I think those positive signs are all have all been done without Gary Boyer necessarily having the, uh, all the tools at his, at his disposal that he would like so that's uh, again to his credit well if you're going to make me be positive I am as much as I hate doing that okay one the Falkirk one was the League Cup but they've had two uneventful victories in a row and if you're going to win a league it's maybe everybody focuses on the big games and that, but those kind of uneventful victories, if, you, if you're turning them out most weeks, particularly at home, that that has to be encouraging. Yeah, that and that sometimes is the difference um, between being champions and not champions is picking up those points when you're not at the top of your game. You're not necessarily playing that well, but you, you still have the quality on the pitch in a moment to... To score the only goal of the game, or to or to get a late winner, or or whatever it is. Oh, it's a did in these these two games. They basically took care of biz business in a quite a sort of no nonsense, yeah, like normal that, yeah, yeah. fashion. Uh, exactly, like a what, what's it like a routine wins. Aye. It's called, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, aye, it, it's winning all those different ways. If you're churning out wins, that everyone goes, oh, aye, that was expected. I mean, even their win against Arbroath was a very entertaining game. They played some, I thought, some really encouraging football in the game against Arbroath. But within the game, there was a period where you thought, they're not going to win this game. How how can they play this well and not win? And, uh, and the nerves were going and stuff like that. And then they came strong in the last 10 minutes or so and did it. And that's... But I go back to the word I used. If, if they're finding consistency, that's maybe the most encouraging thing, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely. That'll be that'll um, bode well for them over the course of the season. I think the problem is that I think what we've seen from this championship in the opening six matches is probably quite similar to what we're going to see across the season. I don't think there's going to be anybody that runs away with it. I think it could be it could be a few different teams battling out towards the end. But yes, if Dundee are to find that consistency, then they yeah they could pull away. Do we think Air United are the real deal? That's what I find interesting. You know, the, we need to the, wait until they lose. I think. Yeah, the, the the striker's absolutely on fire and looks a world beater. But at the same time, you would say, well, first of all, I don't know how Air do that season on season. They seem to find a terrific number nine, but. You also think to yourself, he can't be this good all season, otherwise he wouldn't be playing for Air United. Yeah, so, what's, what's uh, the catch? Yeah, exactly. What's the catch? So, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to know if they're the real deal because um, if not, then you look at that league table and you would say, if Dundee just keep plodding along, perhaps teams like Queen's Park and Air United may just drop off. But 
that would be a dangerous assumption to make Dundee need to take care of business. I'm maybe being a wee bit harsh on the United, but particularly after the way Dundee started against them in, in their opening goal, 15 minutes later, I, I thought, you've stopped doing what brought you the goal and what had you in control yeah. until just after the goal, you got the ball down, you kept possession, you kept moving it, and they didn't really cope with that. The, 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 as good a goal as it was, if you're the... Uh, Looking at it from an Air United point of view, you're worried because we were dragged all over the place yeah. and there was two in their own third of the pitch. There was so much space left yeah. and it took good football to do that, fair enough. And I, uh, that's what, I, the, what frustrated me about that game is I saw a team that could have been beaten Aye. that night and actually won well and and were handed a lot of confidence. I, th uh, I think another thing about Air is that they, they look like they've got a decent starting 11, but it's a long season a squad game and you might find that the likes of Dundee and Thistle have well well they do have the squads to cope with mm -hmm. it more so you might you might find that, that that is a factor. Yeah, I mean there's six points between third and ninth. We still don't you know we don't know who the real deals in this yeah. division are. Everyone's taking points off everyone else. It's Dundee's job that when this league starts to find itself and when there's a degree of consistency, they're the team that's winning every week because this is going to be a division where teams are beating each other every week. So Dundee just need to be that team that maybe stands out a little bit above that. That's what I should have said. That's how to be articulate. <laughs> oh, that's overrated as well. I've never, I made a career out of being basic <laughs> when it came to language. Um, but I mean, the point you made... Craig there about, you know, air and the maybe lack the squad. Now, I'll get all nostal no nostalgic here. See, I told you basic was better. Um, to go back 20 years or so, I remember the Dundee team uh, for a while had Caballero, Sarah, Novo, and for even for a uh, half a season, Mark Burchill. One of their great strengths was after 70 minutes, you could see opposition said, oh, we've, we've kept them quiet today. Off came one of those ones I've mentioned and on came another one. Yeah. Now, that might be a big thing with uh, Cillian, Killian. I go I, Killian, but I, I've never had confidence. Sheridan coming back to fitness and getting a game in the reserves this week. In a few weeks' time, you could have Dundee with Robinson, Rudden, Sheridan, all there, one of them on the bench, maybe two of them on the bench, maybe depending on the, the, the way the manager goes. It's never great for a defence that's battled hard for twenty minutes, for 70 minutes to keep somebody, a team quiet. And they say, oh, he's going off, but look who's coming on. That that has to help them, doesn't it? Having that quality of striker yeah. available. And it could be the solution to his issue of wanting a third striker as well because he could be back as well sorry mate uh, he seems to be oh yeah one of those coming back ah. and uh finding form could be the 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 solution to his issue which he, he, he i'm actually glad to i cover the fight the five clubs and i've i've spent the summer just asking two managers almost every week about transfers and, and them getting bored of me asking and me getting bored of them telling me that the same thing, that nothing's happening. And I was delighted to see that uh, one of the other clubs that we cover, one of the bigger clubs that we cover, their manager saying something very similar that has been a very difficult transfer yeah. window. Ah, people people don't seem to want to move this year. I don't know why. Yeah, people don't want to move and clubs don't want to let their squad players go because they can make more substitutions and have bigger benches. So it's... Yeah, it's been a, a it's a vicious circle, isn't it? A Winter World Cup. Yeah. Brexit making uh, English clubs come up here and take players more. Of course, the fortune to travel as well. There's petrol so much. costs. Yeah, yeah. There, there seems to be a bit of a perfect storm. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's actually interesting that Gary Boyer, it's maybe a, a, a sign that Sheridan might still be further away from the first team than we think, that he's still looking to use the loan system if he can, to bring in another striker. Because you could have five strikers, five first-team strikers. That's that's a lot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would be interesting if any of those strikers that he currently has on the books would perhaps become surplus to requirements and could then maybe be loaned elsewhere or, or whatever else you know could, could perhaps occur. But I think what it does say is there's a reason it's taken so long. There's a reason why, who knows, it might not happen because when you look at the calibre of striker they've got on the books at the moment, whoever they get on loan needs to be better than that. So he's probably looking at a, a premiership striker and who knows if uh, that premiership striker would would become available. There's a, there's a few 
you know, there's a, there's a few strikers that you would think could get a tune out of that that might become, um, you know, surplus requirements. Some literally off the top of my head, you like I, I played in the circumstances of like an Ennis Cameron, you know, like, you know, something like that 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 may become available, but it would need to be that standard. It would need to be that proven championship goal scorer. Otherwise, you look at the players they've got the books right now, and you say, what's the point? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's often this time of the season that players realise they're not part of the plan yes. after the first couple of months or so, so there might there might still be some business. But uh, talking of strikers, <laughs> one that was surplus to requirements, Jason Cummings. Alan, you've you've put this down. Are you seriously telling me Jason Cummings is heading for the World Cup? Absolutely, yeah, it's a, and richly deserved it is. Uh, the Central Coast Mariners goal machine, and if you're a if you're good for Central Coast Mariners, then you must be good. Look at Mark Berrigiti. It's it's he's a it's a must it's a top top. Sorry, that's that being mean, Mark. He's he's going he's going to come back stronger. I'm telling you, but it's not. It's it, Jason's done done brilliantly, and um, it's such an interesting one because I think when it comes to this international break and people see Jason coming to play for Australia and if he was to go to the World Cup with the Socceroos, so many Dundee fans will, will look at that and go. What happened there? You know, what? how did we not get the best out of him? How did we not, um, you know, unlock a player who has the capabilities to, to go to a World Cup to potentially lead the line for, for his adopted country? And, I mean, we mentioned earlier talking about perfect storms, but I do think there's maybe an element of that, you know, perhaps not getting the run in the team that, that he wanted under James McPake, feeling nudged out by the signings of, you know, Lee Griffiths, him then becoming frustrated and being very silly, which uh, you can't also um, overlook. It's, uh, you know, a, a perfect storm of things which have, have caused Dundee not to be able to get the best goal scoring form out of a player who, if nothing else, is a good goal scorer and has gone on. He's proved that previously and he's he's gone on to prove it again over in Australia. And to be honest, that, geez, I, I covered Hibs when he was a, came through as a teenager and... You know, he's, he's a daft laddie sometimes, but I quite like Jason Cummings, you know. I think he's a... He's a very likeable boy. He's a, he's a good player. He, he is. He's a really likable boy. And I was going to say, I do, I, I hopefully, for, hopefully for his sake, I mean, all joking apart, hopefully for his sake, a Central Coast mani uh, Mariners, managers, Mariners getting the benefit of what a long list of other clubs hoped they'd get the benefit of, i.e., He's actually taken a shake to himself, maybe grown up a wee bit and said, if I don't do it now, mm -hmm. I'm never going to do it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's, he's just fitted in over there as well. Sometimes people just find, players just find a club that really suits for them or a culture or whatever it is. He, he just, uh, he seems to have found something where he's really happy. He's saying he likes a barbecue. <laughs> and, yeah, and a beach yeah. and the sunshine there's probably quite beer. a lot to like I, 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 I can understand why um, you'd be happy yeah exactly I mean I've, I'd be delighted to live in Australia to be fair but um, I my memory of Jason Cummings at Dundee and as I said last week I was covering I was up at Dens Park quite a bit that season he started that season quite well remember mm -hmm. he scored against Hibs yeah. there was another game he scored in and Dundee's attack was looking quite good at the start of that season it was at the other end uh, where their issues were. And then they signed Lee Griffith. Lee Griffiths. You're, I'm getting some of your affliction. <laughs> no, okay. um, You're in Dundee, you can speak your own format English. <laughs> <laughs> and whether it's, and whether it was, it's, I mean, I'm not saying, oh, this is all down to Lee Gr Griffiths or anything. I should stop saying his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <but> <laughs> it's in my there. head now. Um, I'm not saying it was all down to him or anything, but it's very possible uh, that that disrupted something. Jason Cummings wasn't the same after that. Whether it was his game time was more limited after that or whether he felt pushed out, like Alan said, or, or whatever it was, something happened there. But I remember Jason Cummings was doing, and the Dundee attack as a whole, was doing quite well before uh, before that signing was made. I'm not saying his name again. Uh, <laughs> but he, he was heading in the right direction for a while, but that seemed to be the story of his career. I mean, that... Yeah. You covered him in Edinburgh for a while, Alan. Is he, is he a boy who maybe being as far away from possible as pe from the people he knows might be a good thing? Yes. 
Probably. But yeah, it doesn't have is, that, is that something we should expand on? We're, 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 we're talking about all the distractions of, the, of, of a life in the sun in Australia, but the one yeah. thing he maybe doesn't have is he can't pick up a phone and be around at a mate's house in half an hour. 100%. Yeah, that's that's a fact. He can focus on his football. He can. He's over there with his partner. You know, he can. they can have a, a lovely time together and go and... Um, judging by Instagram, go and pet koalas and, and do all that fun stuff at the zoo and just uh, genuinely just live a slightly different life to the life that Jason Cummings lives or did live in, in Edinburgh, which let's not pretend that it's always an issue with Jason Cummings. And this goes with a lot of players that maybe have found themselves in situations they wouldn't like to be in. It's not always him going to trouble. Trouble can come to you. Yeah. You know, imagine trying to go out and just have a quiet pint in Edinburgh if you're Jason Cummings mm -hmm. or, or Glasgow or, or anything. You know, it's 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 not just about being him being away from things. It's about um, things not being able to uh, impede him and, and maybe um, create situations that he wouldn't want to be in. So, yeah, absolutely. Get us... I mean, yeah, get as far away from Scotland as possible. It's sunny, the football's decent, you get to play a World Cup. Goodness me, just, yeah. I imagine he'll come back to the UK at some point, but uh, hopefully he comes back as a you know more well-rounded player, well-rounded guy, and yeah, more power to him. And I think the thing with stress, he seems a really likeable lad. You would, like, you would like him to sort of get a wee sort of bit focused on his career and show what a good player he is. He's just a... Yeah, a daft Edinburgh laddie that happens to be good at football. You know, that's 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 all it is. There's, um, yeah, uh, as I say, I can't uh, I, I can't uh, expand any more than just to say that. I, I mean, I don't know him personally. I know him to speak to as a journalist, and even as a a nineteen year old coming through, he was funny and effervescent and really just a just a, a great guy to interview from i mean he he's first ever I'll tell you this he's first ever photo, uh, photo call right um what usually happens is a player holds a ball you, you know these times everyone yeah. in this room knows it you know sns come along to take the pictures he holds a football or he holds up a jersey or you know they're the same pictures they're boring the photographers get sick of them the players get sick of them jason cummins had done his press conference and spoken about how he'd been working as a gardener before um uh, before joining Hibs and for the subsequent photo shoot he suggests uh, why don't I jump in the wheelbarrow because the gardener had been he spotted a wheelbarrow that the, the gardener had been using up at East Mains so he said here I'll jump in that grab a, get, grab a wee football so his first ever photo call teenager should be nervous as anything he's photoed big cheesy grin holding a football somebody pushing him about in a wheelbarrow you know he was just he had he was a character he had something about him and of course, as with anything, as with anybody, things can go two ways. And I'm glad after what looked like a, a worrisome end to his time at, at Dundee that he's now having a really good time out in, in Oz. And you know, listen, we don't have an awful lot to look forward to at the World Cup uh, as a nation. But oh, it'd be it'd nice be, to see him playing. Yeah, it'd be pretty, well. pretty cool if we can sit with a beer and watch Jason Cummings play <laughs> the World Cup. What's, I mean, that's a, that's a good laugh. Made a change from him sitting watching the World Cup with a beer. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> Before we move on to the weekend, I think it's only right, we should mention that um, sad news in the past week relating to Dundee and that former manager Dave Smith uh, passed away at the age uh, of 89, uh, I believe, or almost just short of his 80s yeah, as well, yeah. well in his uh, 80s, Dave. And he was actually, on a personal note, he was actually... He was the first Dundee manager I worked with on a full-time basis in sport. Uh, he was a different style of manager from what we were used to up here because he, although he was a Dundonian, he'd spent all his career uh, down south in England. He was a coach at Newcastle and then he made his name on the south coast, particularly, I think it was with Portsmouth and Plymouth. Uh, one of the one of the P's on the coast. <laughs> uh, he he was a lovely man. Uh, he, he, it's fair to call him eccentric in his uh, managerial style, and he didn't last uh, very long uh, at Dens Park, um, possibly because he had quite a relaxed uh, attitude uh, to life and uh, and regarded football a bit more as a game than 
yeah. than the way of life it was here. But uh, I remember him being a very, very friendly, uh, helpful guy. Uh, Still to this day, the last Dundee manager to beat Celtic at Dens Park, which amazed me as a statistic. But he, go all the way to 1988 for the last time that Dundee beat Celtic at Dens Park. That's wild. He beat them twice in a row. Yeah. They were the one at Parkhead in the autumn of 88. It was 3 2 at half time. I think Stephen Frail might have scored the winner. And Dundee. one of my old favourites. All right. Hearts right back. <laughs> As a Dundee player, <laughs> don't give us your hearts nonsense. No, he, he, he won. He, he actually, he, 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 I think, possibly in his brief time in Dundee, he cost Celtic the title, I think, that year. Yeah. The they beat them at Parkhead and then they beat them the beat them at Dens either just before or just after as well. I think it was just after. Seems to have been and wonderfully well liked down at Plymouth as well, you know, murals at home park towards him and you know, he ran soccer schools down there. So he seems to be a proper a proper legend down there. So obviously a very well liked character as a as a person. Yeah. Uh, he, I, 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 I can't say I remember him as a great manager, but I remember him as a uh, as a lovely man, and he uh, he did things his way, and uh, and his way was always to be friendly, to be uh, to be polite. I remember um, he caught he, he suffered the wrath of Dundee fans actually because Dundee lost the derby under him heavily, and he praised. He praised United and <laughs> that didn't really go down well with the fans, but it was water off a duck's back to Dave because he was, he would be honest, he would be nice and that's what he'd do. Um, so I mean, condolences to his family. Um, Saturday, strangely enough, it's fourth against, it's, I beg your pardon, I can't read it, it's third against fifth as Dundee play Inverness Cali Thistle. This would have been at the start of the season. You might have thought this would have been a top of the table clash. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you might still get that from Inverness. It's difficult to. They've had a lot of injuries. It's difficult to know exactly what you're going to get from them this season. They, they they were pretty bad. I saw them two weeks ago, and they were pretty bad up until then. But then they played Wraith. <laughs> they just <laughs> they always get a result against Wraith. So. Uh, they, they ran out winners and that, but it, it was a bit of a makeshift team, to be honest. Cameron Harper played, is usually a left back, he played in the number 10 position and was actually pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, and Billy McKay dropped to the bench, came came off the bench and, uh, and scored the second goal. They had players like Oakley out. So yeah, there's a few players missing, still a few to come back. They haven't looked great to start the season. I don't know how much, as I said, I don't know how much you can read into them beating their bogey team a couple of weeks ago. Dundee actually don't have the best record against Inverness. No. But this is a very good time to be playing them, I would say. You've also got Dundee coming off the back of successive 3-0 wins at home. And we spoke earlier in the season about, you know, the importance that after a, a tough season, Dundee got used to the pressure of playing in front of their own fans and got used to winning football matches in front of their own fans, especially when that expectation will be really high uh, in a championship campaign. And three, you know, successive three 0 wins at home are really are, are really positive for Dundee, and that's the sort of momentum that they'll be looking to build upon. I think I find it hard to see past Dundee for this one. Famous last words, but. Um, I'm, I don't think Inverness have, have clicked. I don't think they've they've I mean, really found. Craig a, says it's Carly. Though. I know, I know, I know, I know. But come on, is this not that's not Dundee's problem? Your your incessant negativity. <laughs> it's yeah. like maybe a wee bit of positivity <laughs> wouldn't go wouldn't go amiss. It's called being a Dundee fan. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, of course, Billy Dodd back at Danes. Yeah, well, exactly. That'll be a, there'll be a bit of spice there, Mister Popular. Yeah. I mean, I as it, he would have been back before as a, an assistant with yes. County. Uh, would there have been any other times? No, he would have been back before as an assistant with Dundee, but the fans wouldn't wear it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was the start of Jim McIntyre's problems in his brief. Yeah, right uh, enough. Yeah, period in charge at Dens because he didn't get his number two and a number two who he works very well with. He does work really well with them. You look at Cove Rangers now, and I think when we're writing the. Jim potentially leaving Cove Rangers whenever that may be. I get the feeling we may be looking back and saying 
it didn't quite click for him without without Billy Dodds. I think people can really, really underestimate the importance of having your your trusty right hand man. And I think you only need to look as far as again to, to take it to my side of the road. Um, Jack Ross without um, John Potter. It's, you know, it's not to be underestimated. These things they they really aren't. So, yeah. so Billy Dodds, yeah, he was very, very good assistant. Just uh, absolutely not for Dundee, evidently. <laughs> And it is, it, I've annoyed Dundee fans in the past by saying, I mean, it, go, it goes back to this thing that Billy and Gordon Chisholm voted against the uh, package to get Dundee out of administration during their second period of administration. And the Dundee fans have never forgiven either for that. To me, it was always a gesture of them showing that they'd been misled when they took the job. They knew not least because they were friends of the major creditor in John Bennett. They knew that they were making a gesture that wasn't going to kill the club uh, the way they cast their vote. And I think Dundee fans were too quick to forget that they, these guys lost their livelihood uh, in circumstances that shouldn't have happened. And I can understand why they were both a bit bitter about that. But but the fact is, the Dundee fans haven't forgiven Billy. And Billy's not the type of person who won't rise to that. He'll have his, he'll have his team very... Which he, he does every week. He'll have his team very well prepared. And he'll be, he'll be ready for a reaction. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. It would be nice to think that, that after all this time... People could let bygones be bygones, and we could just yeah. But think I don't think football. he has either. I mean, I I I I, I take your word on like uh, on some of that, that, being the superior authority. But um, we just call me superior. Huh? <laughs> That's <laughs> never happened before. But nah, uh, evidently, <laughs> doesn't know you that well. <laughs> but um, Billy Dodds seems to never shirk an opportunity to talk about this. And he always, he's not a man to forget either. I, yeah, I, given I, it, a, I, I know Billy reasonably well. I haven't seen him for a, quite a long time, and I've got only got good to say about Billy. Dodds. No, I'm not trying to criticize but him, does, but he doesn't forget. Yeah, <laughs> it's like um, and I'm sure he's asked the question quite a lot. But he, from what I could tell, he, he never avoids it. He never says, no, "I'm not, not no. going to talk about that." He he's still so. If you're talking about letting bygones be bygones, yeah, it seems to be on both sides there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, d- when the flat comes his way on Saturday, Billy won't pretend he hasn't heard it. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not suggesting he'll make any sort of inappropriate reaction, but he won't come out afterwards <laughs> and say, "Oh, I never heard that." Uh, he, he'll know, and 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 he still stands by what he did. And also, people are also apt to forget. It's bound to hurt him because Dundee was his first successful club. Dundee's where he made his name up here. He came up here as a Chelsea reserve in uh, 89, after, full enough after Gordon Wallace had taken over from Dave's, Dave Smith. And Dundee's where Billy made his name. And, and, and when he moved to St. Johnson, he was very mo- emotional about it. So there, Dundee has a place in his heart. And I think that makes it more acute. When, when he knows that the fans still don't uh, have any love for him. But such is football, I'm afraid. And football being football, it's time for the final whistle. If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it. Or even better, leave a review on a simple race on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people find far teams on the streets and that means a lot to us. 